This circulate content that is not suitable for kids like me. Welcome to Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Erin Plyme and Marie Kent, where we prove that we know nothing about our legal system, but we're still crazy for a good true crime story. Hooray! <laughs> we did it! Second Two time in a row. In a row. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> Thank you for having me back on your podcast, Erin. Thank you for coming back on the podcast. I had lots of fun last week, so I figure, you know, let's do it again. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we we ended by talking about a bunch of theology, which I adore. Mm-hmm. And I said that I had a crazy story from the 80s, the 1980s. Yeah. And I'm here for that crazy story. I'm super excited. <laughs> I I tied my crime to the previous crime, so I also followed the rules. <laughs> I and you know, I'm a rule follower. I say on a crime <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I mean, that is kind of like the message of the po- of the crime podcast that you are on. Don't end That's up true. on next week's. Ep- like, don't. Although Diana interprets that a little differently than I do. That's true. Because she's good with because you didn't get caught being the end of that sentence, and I was oh. going with because you didn't commit a crime. <laughs> oh, I'm going with like don't be the victim of the crime or. Oh, yeah! all the things. Yeah, well, my boyfriend tries to not be on the news because if he's on the news, there's something bad because he's a police officer. Right, right. Yeah, yeah no, you can't. Well, I don't know, unless he's like giving out teddy bears to sick children. He could be on well, the news I, for that. I think he almost got on the news last week because he got hit by a car. <gasps> what? Yeah. Like oh, yeah, he okay. got hit by a car? Wait, yeah, what? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm just, instead of telling people what I learned, oh, this is, this is what I learned. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I learned that what he calls as just a, a day for, would blow everyone else's mind. Right. So he pulled over somebody who was speeding. And so he, you know, like they park their car just a little bit out so that people, you know, speeding by in the freeway, like don't hit you. Right. Hit the parsing. So he's doing that and he's walking along like, but he had the, um, it's like he had the, the lights on yeah. because he's like signaling that people need to go around them. And so that means yeah. that his dash cam is recording, right? And so as he was walking um, from his car, from the, the squad car to the person who was speeding, a car that was driving by clipped his shoulder and spun him around. And so he like got hit by a car. But he <laughs> – so that's a thing. He just – yeah. was walking and got hit by a car. That is, yeah. how are you like, and I just didn't tell, like I just, uh, well, I just thought I'd bring it up in conversation now. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Because well, he, <laughs> he came over after work and I'm like, how are you? And he's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm a little sore. And I'm like, um, why are you a little sore? He's like, oh, it's okay. I just got back from the hospital and I don't have any broken ribs. And I'm like, that is not the way to start. This. No. Yeah, so he he jumped over the actually getting hit by a car part. He's like, oh yeah, I mean there was just a it was a thing, but it's okay. I got back in my got back in the car and I caught the guy who um, who hit me hit with me. the car and arrested him. <laughs> I right and my rough day at work is that somebody in a meeting was kind of rude to me. Yeah, yeah, or there were too many meetings and I didn't really get as much done as I wanted to. Yeah, yeah. So 
Yeah. So he, he almost got on the news for that, but he did not. He got hit by a car and then got mm-hmm. back in his car and caught. What mm-hmm. do you even say when the cop that you just hit with your car pulls you over? Uh, you know, like, I should get him I think on the show just, and we can ask him. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't shoot me. You would be well within your rights. I would yeah. understand. Don't do it. <laughs> No, he wow. he does not shoot people. Well, <laughs> That's not no. His thing. <laughs> just saying. No, I would. Well, I would hope not. I would. I would mm-hmm. actually just assume not. As yeah, he you does are not. With him, so he's quite anti-gun on all levels. Yeah. Anyway, enough of that. Wow. <laughs> what did you learn this week? <laughs> I learned how wind chill is calculated. Because I don't know if <laughs> anyone <sorry>. knows <laughs> what. <laughs> Yeah, yes, that is a thing to, to learn. I um uh, okay, I'm laughing because I've lived in Wisconsin or Minnesota since 989, uh-huh. a long time. Like, oh god, like 30 years. And so, I've known about wind chill for it feels like my entire life, but you're new here. That's right, you're new here. Well, but I know about uh, wind chill. I just didn't know how complicated the calculation was. Ah, or okay, like where it, it came from and that kind of, like I knew it it just didn't really ever matter because like I don't know it's 20 back home right now and everybody is like oh this is so insanely cold and I'm like okay so I didn't know that hair could freeze I thought mm-hmm. that was an exaggeration nope no. that's a thing so I'm gonna have to buy a hair dryer <laughs> so- yeah yeah you what it's really cold in Minnesota right now, you guys. Like, there's a polar vortex coming in. It's supposed to yeah. get down to, like, minus 20s in a couple days. Yeah. Do we know it what the wind chill low is? Right. I don't know what the wind chill like low is it... right now. Well, no, but, like, the expected. Oh. No, I'm I, – I considered looking, but then I decided to sit under a blanket inside and <laughs> not <laughs> – just and be ignorant. Look. Yeah. I mean, that does seem sort of fair. So, because my sister is preparing her chickens, and I think they're expecting negative 40s, 50s in Madison, like wind chill, not actual. Oh, okay. But it turns out that even if the wind chill is negative 50, it will not be for her chickens because what it mean? is specific to people. What? I didn't know that. Well, okay. It is now. It wasn't always. So let me tell you. Um, So the idea for this, there were a couple of scientists and in Antarctica um, in like the 40s. And they, Mm -hmm. outside of their place that they were living in, their little station, they hung some water bottles at different heights and then uh, measured how long it took for the water to freeze. And what they learned was there was a huge difference between how long it took the water to freeze on a still day versus how long it took the water to freeze when there was wind. Okay. It froze a whole lot faster with the wind because it's pulling, it's like blowing all the heat away, right? Yeah. So, and so that's where like wind chill was born, right? Oh, like now if we have, if we add in conditions other than just temperature, it changes mm-hmm. how quickly things reach the outside temperature. Um, so it really, that like real feel number that is yeah. wind chill, 
That one is the one that's a little bit more complicated and like human specific because it is calculated based on not only like the temperature outside, but also how much wind there is because that'll pull the heat away faster and also how much like relative humidity there is because that affects how it feels and it's measured or like accurate for five feet from the ground because that is where the average person would have exposed skin on their face five feet off the ground very true as someone who's five foot three yeah 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 so it for a chicken it would Uh be different plus they have a different amount of like exposed skin so they're going to feel it differently anyway but they're Mm -hmm. also closer to the ground and then for anything inanimate it doesn't matter Anything that doesn't make its own body heat doesn't matter because it, like, it can be 40 degrees outside but feel like it's 28, Mm -hmm. but water won't freeze even though it feels to us like it's 28. Because really what it means is it's cooling you as if it were 28, but it will stop cooling you at 40 because it isn't any lower than 40. Did not know about the five foot thing. Because I, I, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Because I, I mean... It's I, super I, complicated, though, I feel like, like the we, formula. I feel like everybody knows that the higher you go, like if you're at the top of a skyscraper, it's super windy and it's always so much colder. Mm-hmm. But somehow I just spaced that when they're figuring out wind chill, they have to pick a height. Of course they have to yeah. pick a height. Yeah. Huh. Yep. Fascinating. Right? Well, thank you. I've learned something today. There this you really go. Yeah. <laughs> so, um... The only other part I was reading this whole article about, it was actually really fascinating. The only other part that was on there um, was talking about apparently for a long time, they would give the wind chill number on like a news, like a weather program. But it was this four digit number that didn't correspond to a temperature because it wasn't telling you what it feels like, which is what we go, what we assume, like that's what wind chill is now is what Mm -hmm. temperature does it cool like? It was, um, oh God, where is it? Watts per square meter. And it measured heat loss. So it was a totally different, because it was like the cooling the water bottle thing, right? Like how long does it take to cool a square meter of whatever, probably water, right? Hmm. So watts per square meter, the energy and heat removal. Um, But it didn't mean anything to anybody. And so they started translating it into, well, it's as if it were 28 Mm -hmm. degrees outside. Oh, yeah. Because I'm not a, just a one meter cube of water personally no no yeah very human shaped yeah me too yeah Hmm. also i make my own body heat also i can put on a coat (laughs) (laughs) it was so cold i put on pants that's how cold it was like real pants Mm -hmm. i just changed into pajama pants nice i've been wearing real pants all day (laughs) (sighs) totally overrated Welcome to the Midwest. Um, okay, so I have a joke. Can I tell you a joke and then we'll tell our stories? Please tell me a joke. Okay, it's crime related. <laughs> I love it I'm already. So There's this guy who lived in Bulgaria and he drove trains for a living. Okay. And he loved his job, right? It had always been his dream ever since he was little. He liked to make the trains go as fast as they possibly could. Okay. But he was not terribly careful. And one day he was a little too reckless and he caused a crash. And he made it out just fine. But one guy died 
-hmm. So he ended up in court and he was found guilty of murder and he was sentenced to death by electrocution. Whoa. Yeah. Dark turn. Right. So Bulgaria takes this very seriously, I guess. Yes. (laughs) So execution day comes and he his last meal request is a single banana. And he ate the banana and they strapped him in the electric chair and the switch was thrown and sparks Mm -hmm. flew and smoke filled the air and nothing happened. He was totally fine. So at the time in Bulgaria, there was this law that said if an execution failed, it was a a sign of divine intervention. Oh, look, it has crime and religion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Good choice of a joke. (laughs) And so they let him go. Okay. Oh, my God. (laughs) Just touched my cat. I didn't know she was there. And she jumped. (laughs) Oh, sorry, girl. (laughs) Okay. Um, So they let him go. And somehow... I'm guessing poor background checks. He mm-hmm. managed to get his old job back driving wow. the train. Okay. But he didn't learn his lesson at all. So again, he would go way too fast. And once yeah. again, he caused a crash. Okay. This time, two people died. Oh. He went back to trial. Very much the same as the first. Yeah. Sentenced to execution. So for his last meal, he requested two bananas. Two bananas. Okay. He, one, I guess, for each person. I don't know. Sense of your correlation. Right. So he ate the bananas. They strapped him into the electric chair, threw the switch, sparks flew, smoke filled the room. Totally fine. Okay. So he was free to go. And once again, he somehow managed to get his old job back. What? And no one was surprised when he crashed another train. This time he killed three people. I have real questions for HR. Just saying. (laughs) Um, so he went back to court, sentenced him to death. On the day of his execution, he requested his final meal. Yeah. Three bananas. Three bananas. You know what? No, said the executioner. I've had it with you and your stupid bananas and walking out of here unharmed. I'm not giving you anything to eat. We're strapping you in and doing this now. So that was against protocol, but whatever. Yeah. They strapped him into the electric chair with no last meal. Uh-huh. They they threw the switch, sparks flew, smoke filled the room. The man, totally unharmed. <laughs> the executioner was speechless. Yeah. The man looked at the executioner and said, oh, yeah, the bananas had nothing to do with it. I'm just a bad conductor. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm a bad conductor. <laughs> I love really stupid jokes that take like 45 minutes to tell. I'm in pain. No, that's a crime. Okay. The end. (laughs) See you next week. (laughs) Oh, but so there you go. Actually, yeah, that's. like you just made me made me speechless on a podcast which is really great for audio right. <laughs> me just shaking my head right your face during that whole joke was fantastic was by like, the way where's this so going? engaged like uh-huh <laughs> i'm waiting for it i'm just i'm just waiting for the turn and that it was worth it yeah glad, glad. i aim to please yeah so. 
So we don't do a very good job of alternating back and forth, mostly because Diana and I can never remember who went first. Mm, um, but I do know that I went first last time. So I will yeah. let you decide if you want to go first or second. I, you know what? I'll go first this time. Awesome. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> I, I'm going to talk about more later, but I've been listening to your podcast. And so I'm really excited to hear about your crime. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so this crime... I think it was mentioned briefly on an episode, possibly in like late 2016, maybe early 2017. But what it was just did, kind of. What year did it, you start? Um, I took over in early 2016. Okay. Yeah. I'm nowhere near there yet. Yeah. <laughs> like on episode three. But still. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, if you ever want to listen to my podcast, you can totally do that. I do my Book of Mormon podcast. And um, yes, Mormonism, everyone. It is case- delightful. I really like that is not the kind of thing I would seek out, but it is wonderful. No. Thank you. <laughs> so in case you don't know anything about Mormonism, don't worry. I'm going to give you a quick recap of everything you need to know about this story. And last week's episode, you should definitely go back and listen to that. If you haven't, like stop now, go back and listen. Right. Because I tell the story of, um, you know, Governor Boggs allegedly getting shot by Joseph Smith's bodyguard. Right. It, allegedly. I somehow had occasion to share that story with coworkers. <laughs> and we <laughs> like got on Wikipedia and looked up yeah. the Mormon wars mm-hmm. and they had never heard of any of it. I was like, see, yeah. I know shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Mormon Mormon history is fascinating, you guys. It's so surprisingly that's what we do with that. so. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what you need to know to understand why my story is going, why it's a big deal. All right. (laughs) Okay. So, (laughs) prophet of God, Joseph Smith, allegedly, if you believe in such things, which a a significant number of people do, I personally don't, but Joseph Smith sure did believe that he was a prophet of God. And so he, in the late 1820s, um, he created a new religion called Mormonism. He wrote the Book of Mormon by translating pages from golden plates, which are just kind of, there was, there was writing on these plates that was etched in by, oh God, this is way too complicated. I'm just gonna skip right by it. But it was written in reformed <laughs> Egyptian. Okay, he said it was in reformed Egyptian. Joseph Smith is the only one who ever saw these plates. Um, convenient. Mm-hmm. Very convenient. And reformed Egyptian, not actually a language. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's an important thing to know. And he starts his religion. It kind of takes off. Things happen. And eventually in 1844, he gets killed by a mob. But it's kind of a big deal when he gets killed because he, prophet of God, gets killed. But also he hadn't actually really named a a successor or more to the point he had. But there were like three very easy options because he'd said to three separate people in writing, you would be the next successor of this religion. So that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so he just it, wanted yeah. to create some drama when he left. Oh, my God. Yeah. That whole drama is actually called the schism crisis. <laughs> and it, this schism crisis continues to this day uh, in many forms. But the two that we care about, um, if you think of Mormonism at all, you probably think of Utah, right? Brigham mm-hmm. Young is probably a name you recognize. Mm-hmm. And Brigham Young took over after Joseph Smith, took a bunch of people out to Utah. Mm -hmm. The one you probably don't know about 
is that in 1860, Joseph Smith's son, Joseph Smith III, was old enough that he became the next prophet of God with everyone who didn't go to Utah. So that was called... mm -hmm. So that was called the Reorganized Church of Latter-day Saints and eventually changed their name to Community of Christ when RLDS split. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, so schism crisis. So what? here's what you need to remember, everybody. There's, we're going to call them the Mormons or LDS. And I'm aware that there's terminology discussions to be had. We're going to go with what's commonly used, Mormons. And that's like Utah. Think Utah. Mm-hmm. And then Community of Christ, think Illinois-ish, you know, but just like they're cousins, these two religions. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But Got basically, it. yeah, a lot of the same tenets. So here's what we care about. A guy named Mark Hoffman. So he was born in on December 7th in 1954 in Salt Lake City, Utah. So do you think that, he, you what, do you know what religion he was born into? Just Asking. So it would it would have to be Mormonism. You bet. Absolutely. I paid attention. You did. <laughs> <laughs> so he's Mormon. He's raised Mormon. And he was described in high school as below average. <laughs> so sorry, Mark. <laughs> it's really <laughs> tragic. And he went out in history as below average. Below average. But he oh. he was good at some things. He really liked stamp collecting, coin collecting, chemistry. And he and his friends, uh, when they were bored, sometimes they'd go out to, like, the outskirts of very rural Utah, and they would just blow up things, you know, like little miniature bombs. Cool. I tried that when I was younger. I tried to make a little miniature bomb. Yeah, he did it successfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he's, that's better than me. Yeah, he also figured out that he was kind of good at making things when he, um, he took a dime and he just sort of altered it a little bit. He added a mint mark and successfully sold it to coin collectors as a rare coin. I see where this is going. Yeah. And so <laughs> he was asked about this later and he said he said that he decided that if the collectors decided it was genuine, then it was. So there's no problem, right? That's oh. totally how that works. Absolutely. Right? No, that's not how that works. <laughs> oh crap. I got some explaining to do. Yeah, so he much later he said that he lost his faith in the church when he was around a teenager, but uh, he chose to remain active in the church, and he went on a two-year mission for the church to be a missionary when he was 19, and he went to Bristol, England. Now, we care about Bristol, England because during the early days of the church, a guy named Brigham Young Mm -hmm. um, led a mission to England and got a whole bunch of people. They converted and came into Illinois, you know, recognize Illinois but then when Joseph Smith was killed in Illinois a bunch of those British immigrants went to Utah so right so he was there which means there's a lot of like Mormon artifacts there so he did a lot of like going to bookstores and buying up as much as he could of these cool artifacts and then he returns to America mm-hmm. where he enroll enrolls at as a pre-med student at Utah State University and marries Dora Lee Olds in 1979 so 1980 Hoffman claims to find a 17th century Bible with a paper tucked into it. And this paper happened to be covered in reformed Egyptian. What? (laughs) (laughs) And it, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And the LDS church appraised it at $25,000 and purchased it. uh, Because it was a very key artifact in Mormon history that we don't particularly care about. But it's a big deal. And so they bought it. And Hoffman's like, this is amazing. 
And this paper, there was a, a prominent Mormon historian, um, academic at the time, his name was Hugh Nibley, and he stated that this document was as good a test as we'll ever get of the authenticity of the Book of Mormon. Oh, that's a shame. Mm-hmm. That says a lot. It really does. So Hoffman takes the money and he drops out of school and he goes into business as a dealer in rare books. So he's still presenting as a true believing active Mormon in the church. And he and Dory start having kids. And he tells everyone that he's dedicated his life to finding non-Mormon descendants of the original Mormons and then purchasing their heirlooms. So that means all these rare old documents just all start turning up all at the yeah. same time well he's working hard yeah he he's has done a, his homework mm-hmm. untapped he a, market <laughs> he has a really great connection to anonymous like donors isn't yeah. that so cool he's so good at networking you guys and, and they and they're just donating them he's not yeah. buying them they're yeah, just they're like yes them. you can have they're, yeah they're donating it to him and then he's turning around to the church and coordinating with, you know, the LDS Mormon church on, like, so they can purchase it from him. And the church gives, like, official press briefing, briefings for some of them because they're so important. And others, they just, like, if they perhaps portray the church sort of negatively, they just acquire it privately. Yeah. And it sort of disappears. But he's getting paid, you know? Yeah. So, hmm. What a generous soul. He's a real generous soul. 1981, he shows up with a letter dated January 27th, 1865, and it chastises Brigham Young for destroying a blessing from Joseph Smith, stating that Joseph Smith's son, Joseph Smith III, was a true designated successor. So remember, Uh yes, remember, (laughs) dies in 1844, schism crisis, Brigham Young takes over and like Utah happens. Community of Christ doesn't go to Utah. They stay in Illinois. And then they wait until Joseph Smith III becomes the next successor. Okay, so here's a document says that Brigham Young knew that Brigham wasn't the actual successor. Joseph Smith III was, but Brigham went ahead anyway. Right. Like, it's a forgery, That's... you guys. This is a forgery, but nobody knows it at this point because Hoffman, right. he's so good. <laughs> and this was like, this was a public relations disaster. Yeah. Yes, because here's what happens. Hoffman, he tries to sell it to the LDS church, but for way too much money. Because he's just getting way too big for his britches. He's like, right, just pay me all your money. And they're like, um, excuse me, you want how much? So he goes to Community of Christ and says, <laughs> hey, look what I've got. And they're like, whoa, wait, you're asking how much? So he leaks the story to the New York Times. And the headline is, uh, Mormon document raises doubts on succession of church leaders. So this would be the same as if um, there was if someone came forward with absolute proof that Pope Francis wasn't a Catholic, but he was an atheist who infiltrated Catholicism to get power. Right. That's the level of what that headline says. Right. So there's a bidding war because suddenly both churches really want this document. The LDS church ends up giving him around $20,000 for it, but then publicly has to give the letter to Community of Christ. Why? Because Community of Christ, they're the ones from Joseph Smith III. Well, right. <laughs> yeah. And so they're like, well, but we deserve this letter because we're the one true religion. Just because you bought it, why should you keep our historical document oh, saying okay. that we're, right? So this okay. is like. But then giving like, it to them would also admit that they agreed? Mm-hmm. Okay. Public relations 
disaster. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so what does Hoffman do? He keeps at it because he's figured out how he can manipulate a church he doesn't believe in, get lots of cash for it, and all he has to do is make forgeries. So right. he does. Um, he starts forging things that prove that Joseph Smith uh, did dark magic. Uh, that <laughs> <laughs> He found some lost letters of Joseph Smith that was written during a time that Joseph was in prison and the actual letters that Joseph Smith did write are part of the official canon of the church. Like it's printed chapters 121 to 123 of the Doctrine and Covenants, um, mm-hmm. which is you can open up any like official Mormon canon and it's right there. So imagine if suddenly someone found new letters written by the Apostle Paul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same thing. So this goes on for years. But these forgeries are really good. Like, they're being authenticated every single well, right. one. And, and it, I mean, it was technology-wise, I guess it was a long time ago, but it, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, this is not long ago. Like, we're in 1984, <laughs> okay? Yeah. Yeah, so by 1984, like, ripples are happening, like, massive ripples are happening among, like, regular historians, church historians of both Community of Christ and LDS, and then... 1984, something happens by two historians, Sandra and Gerald Tanner. Ger- I'm sorry, let me start over. Sandra and Gerald Tanner, uh, they secure a document called the Salamander Letter, which is incredibly famous if you're Mormon. I've actually heard of that. I don't right? know what it is, but I have heard that term. It uh, casts doubt on the official uh, record of what Joseph Smith said what happened when he received a revelation that Mormonism is the one true religion and how to do that. Okay. Yeah. So it's another one of those like, oh, if this letter exists, then everything that this entire church is built on has to fundamentally change. Right. Right. It's yeah, a big deal. A big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like finding a new Genesis. Yeah. Right. Right. So Sandra and Gerald Tanner, they get on, they actually get the Salamander letter. They look at it. They study it. And they declare it to be a forgery. Which, okay, so these are, they are very respected historians. Um, Gerald has passed away. I've met Sandra Tanner, because, like, this was 1984. Right. She's still alive. She is so nice. She is intelligent (laughs) beyond measure. Like, I trust everything this woman says. She's fantastic. <laughs> I like I was in the same room as her and I was like, oh, that's Sandra Tanner. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I was like, be cool, be cool, be cool. Um, I was not cool. I fan <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> all right, so here's the problem. So if the Salamander letter is a forgery, what else is there? Hoffman's like, you know what? I'm making money. I've got a lavish lifestyle I like to maintain. So he forges and sells signatures by individuals you may have heard of, like George Washington, Andrew oh. Jackson, Paul Revere, Mark Twain. And he, in 1985, he's in progress of selling a document to the Library of Congress for $1 million. Like, legitimately $1 million. The Library of Congress is actively looking at a document that he's, like, making, and they're going to maybe give him this money. And it falls apart because Sandra and Gerald Tanner, they're very open about the forgeries they're uncovering. Mm-hmm. And there's this, it, he was, he was really going to town. He could have just taken money from before and just lived a good life. Yeah. And just stopped. Mm-hmm. But instead he's like, I, I can get more money. If I have a rare document 
then like he, he was going to historians and saying, I have this incredibly rare document. I want you to have it. So how about you send me $50,000 and I'll definitely give it to you first. And I won't mention it to anyone else. Okay. Yeah, that's convenient. Yeah. Then, so what then it's so- not a bunch of people looking mm-hmm. into it. and mm-hmm. Yeah. But the problem is he was doing this all the time and he could not keep up with supply and demand. Oh, no. Yeah. So and he's he's attempting to make one big sale because he has been spending way more than he's getting and he is deep in debt like deep in debt pick a number yeah he is that deep in debt so he decides (sighs) that he's going to sell something called the mcclellan collection which would if it was a real thing and he had it it would be stacks of journals from like 1830s 1840s he doesn't have time to make stacks of journals. Stacks, yeah. Mm-hmm. Every single page written in by this one particular handwriting and different right. versions showing changes over time. And like, he doesn't have the time and he's deeply in debt of uh, Cyril. Like the tanners are pointing out the forgeries. So he has a solution. Do you want to guess what the solution is? I, fake his own death. I don't know. <laughs> oh, even better <laughs> slash worse. Ooh. He decides that so the the collectors who are asking for the most money for him or have given him the most money but want it back because he's not providing the documents that he said he'd had right he's just gonna kill them it's fine oh okay yeah Yeah. so remember when he was a teen and he'd go out to the boondocks with his buddies and just blow things up for fun no Uh Mm -hmm. Mm uh-huh was hoping that was just like a quirk that didn't play into the story well it's certainly a quirk i okay (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry for laughing at this, you guys. Okay. Stephen Christensen, he is a rare document collector, and he was heavily invested in an investment company with a man named Gary Sheets, and he was owed a lot of money from Mark Hoffman that was then, like, part of this thing with with Gary Sheets. Like, this, it's it's very complicated, you guys. Let's just go with there's lots of money. And on October 5th, 1985, a bomb explodes and kills Stephen Christensen. Not good. No. And then later that, yeah, later that day, another bomb explodes, um, and it kills Kathy Sheets, Gary Sheets' wife. So, oh. yeah, so basically a box is left, um, and she was in the wrong place at the wrong time, picked it up. She, it, it was not meant for her. But the police immediately started investigating. So like, whoa, two bombs in one day? What is even happening? This is Utah. Right. And so they look at it and they start asking questions that day and, hey, follow the money. And the name Mark Hoffman comes up. The next day, another bomb goes off in the car of Mark Hoffman. So Mark Hoffman, uh, he's That's severely smart. injured. Yeah, oh. So he's, he's taken. So here's what happens. So he's, a bomb goes off in Mark Hoffman's car. The police are like, oh, my goodness, he's the next target. We had this all wrong. That that was my, yeah, was mm-hmm. like, okay, I faked that I'm the target. Yeah, but here's the problem. He's telling a story that would say, oh, I got into my car and a bomb exploded. Except yeah. that when you think of getting into a car, like, as you're sitting down, how the injuries would be. Yeah. They're very different if you're, say, kneeling over a bomb in a car, right oh, like your whole body yeah. position would be different right and so he it is not matching up like what he's saying and they're like um so they get a warrant and they go to his house unlock the basement and remember that one million dollar in progress document like that the library of congress oh, 
Yeah. They found earlier versions of it. Yeah. So blatant evidence that's inconvenient. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They they find all the inks. And so what what they do is they call in a document examiner. Uh, His name was George Throckmorton. And he starts looking at all of the Mark Hoffman things. Because what, remember, this is the 80s. And so he was sending things out to different historians and they were all holding on to it precious like and not telling anyone. So then once they all got their documents in the same place, that was the only way they could see that collectively they were a forgery. Because they couldn't just like Google image search stuff, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's like 85. So January 1986, Hoffman was arrested and charged with first degree murder, delivering a bomb, constructing a bomb, possession of a bomb, theft by deception, communication fraud for a total of 32 indictments. Wow. He initially says, I'm innocent, you guys. Totes innocent. But the prosecutors brought in so much evidence to a preliminary hearing that he's like, okay, okay, yeah. So he says, (laughs) he says, I'll confess in open court um, what these are forgeries, like specifically the ones that made the churches look real bad. Uh, He's like, just don't add any more charges. I'll confess to these. And they're like, Okay, so he was sentenced for five years to life in prison. It's a pretty big range, right? Yeah, LD- also, yeah. why would five years even, was that just for the forgeries or for everything? For everything. For the murder? Yeah, like the, the minimum of all the things was five years. And I'm like, but you killed two people with bombs, dude. What the yeah, actual? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. So the LDS church excommunicated him, rightly so. And Dory divorced him because bless her she did she deserved better than that yeah yep uh-huh and hoffman fell into a deep depression when dory started divorce proceedings so he attempted to overdose on what he had on hand which was antidepressants which just knocked him out for 12 hours the problem yeah, yeah so he was revived but the problem was he was basically passed out and completely still for 12 hours and he was laying on his right arm in such a way that it blocked circulation. And, like, the dude was right-handed. And he was revived, but the damage to his right arm was so severe that he was permanently disabled. Like, over time, uh, it's said that his forging arm atrophied nearly to the bone because the muscle just died. That is, like, such perfect irony. Like, that that's right? so deserved. He so mm-hmm. deserved that. God, seriously. So two years later, at a hearing before the Utah Board of Pardons in 1988, the board asked him what I think is a really good question. Why did you plant the bomb that killed Kathy Sheets? Like if she if he was aiming for Gary Sheets, why wasn't right. he more careful about it? And it, uh, his response. Oh, my God, you guys, this just makes me so angry. He said the plant that planting the bomb was almost a game. At the time I made the bomb, my thoughts were that it didn't matter if it was Mrs. Sheets, a child, a dog, whoever. He was just trying to have bombs explode at document, like people who dealt with documents, to give himself more time to make more documents to sell them. And I, if, but, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I see your expression. I, I yeah, yeah. Wow, what a monster. Absolutely. Well, the good news, the parole board, within an hour decided that Hoffman had so callously disregarded human life that he should sure that he should serve his natural life in prison where he remains to this day and as of January 2019 
He's serving his life sentence at Central Utah Correctional Facility in Gunnison, Utah. And that's the story of Mark Hoffman. God, I hope it sucks for him there. What well, an evil dude. Like, yeah. like yeah. I, I get that forgery is a bad thing. I just can't get all that upset about it in the grand scheme of things. Like, of mm-hmm. all the crimes we cover, like... It seems like a relief when someone's a forger. I know. It's like, oh, you just forged some things. It's fine. But then, right. oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. Then no. then you just decided to blow people up without any mm-hmm. thought. Like, you were absolutely evil. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But every every Mormon historian, like this particular little era, uh, the Mark Hoffman disaster, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because he was, he was selling some legit stuff, too. And then sliding in some forgeries. And so the right. mess that is still occasionally ongoing of figuring out, well, oh, yeah. was this actually something by Mark Hoffman? I don't know. Let's find out. Right. So, yeah. At what point do things forgers made become valuable on their own? Oh, my gosh. Like I feel like. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I could hear somebody saying, well, I have a Mark Hoffman. <laughs> yeah right like he's the artist now I mean in in a way yeah but he was I I don't know I I know that for me if I had the option to have a Mark Hoffman part of me would be like oh my god yeah totally but then also I don't really want to support what he did because he did blow up two people right and like was whether or not you agree with Mormonism or anything Joseph Smith related like doesn't matter it could have been anything it doesn't matter yeah yeah and i i don't really approve of setting out to destroy someone's religion by lying about them that seems like a real pretty low thing to do yeah so was it that he was such a good storyteller and good like he knew a lot of the history and he could fit Mm -hmm. his forgeries in or was it that it's all kind of a mess and so who knows it could have been I don't know. It, I mean, there's differing perspectives because it's like there's uh, same as last week, you guys. There's always the like there. It's really easy um, if you are a true believing Mormon to look at this and say, oh, well, this guy, he didn't believe he's just being led by Satan or whatever to do terrible mm-hmm. things, which I mean, sure, that could be true. Or he just was angry at a religion that he had to uh, for whatever reason he felt he had to keep acting like he believed it mm-hmm. but that turned him so bitter that he's like how can i destroy this religion without actually having to leave it which mm-hmm. also doesn't seem like a very healthy option no but like only he knows the truth and um had some callous re- disregard for human life so do you really believe Definitely. what he says right right uh, well, I was just thinking that it was kind of impressive because he had to pass his forgeries off on a couple levels, right? Oh, they yeah. had to look real, but they also mm-hmm. had to be authentic sounding. Yes. And either fit in with the history or like fit in with parts of it so that it would, I don't know. I, yeah. That... It's wow. real complicated. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I find him more or less impressive than diana's guy that um i don't know maybe it was jordan's guy somebody's guy who smuggled the the typewriter in oh i don't think i've listened to that one yet because it's in it's in your backlog so i don't think that it's diana but i may have missed it yeah wow Mm -hmm. that's impressive i'm that's impressive 
Yeah. But also evil and awful. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I do love that uh, Mormonism is such a recent religion that you can still see these documents. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's what I was thinking of when you were like, oh, and I met the, you know. Mm -hmm. Met Sandra Tanner. Yeah. She's great. That's just, it still just blows my mind. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you should blow my mind with a story of your own because yours are always good. I have, I have a story to tell you. (laughs) Okay. How does it conveniently, how does it link back to last week's story? All right. So last week we had Miranda. Mm-hmm. who gave what what I am prepared to say outright is a false confession. Yeah. How many people did she say that she murdered? Between 22 and 100? Somewhere in there. <laughs> so Just... range. Gosh. Like, if it was, if there was any plausibility of it actually being 22 to 100 people, I would not be laughing at it, but... Right, right. Come on. But that just doesn't, that's not a reasonable thing to say no maybe if you had either some insane drugs or some sort of like mental illness or something where you were losing time i'm trying to think of any way in which 22 to 100 could actually be an unknown range of people that you may have killed yeah but either way. Eh. So I went with false confession. I was like, okay. you know what? That is 100% false confession. Let me find yeah. another one. So I found Sweet. another one. Okay. So um, in November of 1989, actually smack dab in the middle of November on the 15th, a girl who was a high school student, 15-year-old Angela Correa, went into the woods. And she took with her her portable cassette player, her Walkman, and a camera because she had a photography assignment that she needed to do and so she went out on her own and never came back oh that's not what we want no two days later they found her body her she had blunt force trauma to her head and she had been strangled and raped Aww. yep so the 15th, the afternoon of the 15th was the last time anybody had seen her alive. Um, and they found her body in the woods where people knew that she was going there for like an assignment. Mm-hmm. So, but then she had just never came back. And this was in Peaksill, New York. Um, so, I actually, I, so this story <laughs> frustrated me a whole lot. Oh. <laughs> and, and the reason is because when I look up a story, it, a lot of times it's about the bad guy. Like a mm, true crime. Yeah. I, and I would say that most podcasts, it's usually about the bad guy, right? Yeah. Um, and that's fine. Like I know that they are the interesting one that we can't understand and it's hard to identify with or maybe we mm-hmm. do and that's a little bit scary or whatever else. But yeah. I like to know something about the victim and the crime and like what happened. And with this case... You can look up Angela Korea all day long. You can look up murder, rape, all this. You can't. There's nothing. There are no yeah. articles just written about her. I don't know huh. who she was other than she was in a photography class and she was 15 years old. Um, and and there's only, I mean, there you will get tons and tons of articles about the event, but it is all about this false confession aspect oh. and not about her. And that made me so mad. So the beginning of the story is really sparse. Like that's pretty much it. Um, 
early on, there was, of course, the funeral for her, and they identified somebody that they considered a suspect. And the suspect that they identified was a kid named Jeffrey, who went by Jeff, Deskovic. Desperate. Sure, we'll go with it. I think that's, yeah. Uh, and they weren't, they weren't close friends. He was 16 years old. They were in the same school. Uh, she helped him with homework and with, I guess, like algebra homework. And he didn't have a lot of friends. Um, and so she was like one person who was nice to him out of the whole world, mm-hmm. essentially. And because of that, at the funeral, apparently he kind of made a spectacle. Like he cried a lot. And yeah. while with some context of you know this is the only person maybe who was ever kind to him ever it's really tragic but for the police it was really suspicious oh no yeah so he was walking to school one morning and the police came and and got him and took him to the police station Mm -hmm. they they broke a lot of laws they did not tell his parents they had him even though he was 16 years old they did not read him his rights they did question him for seven and a half hours but since he had been walking to school when they picked him up his parents just assumed he was at school that whole day nobody thought he was missing or it was suspicious like nobody worried at all and that Mm -hmm. whole time he was alone with the officers so during the interrogation They did a polygraph test that went hours and hours and hours. They told him they had found his DNA on the body. They um, they just threw everything they had at him. And police, yeah, police officers are allowed to lie to suspects about things like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, we have your prints, or oh, well, we have a witness who said you were there. That's fine. Um, But there were so many things that they did that were not fine, like keeping a minor away from his parents and not yeah. reading him his rights and not letting him have a lawyer and yeah, so by the end i know that you can't just take no. a minor without notifying their parents because that's isn't that called something called kidnapping yeah, yeah yeah no yeah that's exactly what that is mm-hmm. huh okay. yeah yeah that those are not good police officers everybody no. not not so nope. much no I, i'm against these police officers Agreed. So at about hour six and a half of seven and a half, God. he he just was done. He was exhausted. He was scared. He'd been told that he was guilty. It didn't matter what he said. He yeah. didn't have anyone on his side. He had just lost a friend. Yeah. And, and then he was told that if he would just confess to the murder, he could go home. They would let him go. It was the end of the day. And so he did. He made some shit up and he told him what happened. And then he crawled onto the floor and curled up in the fetal position and cried. Yeah. Yep. I would too. Yeah. Wow. So then they told him he wasn't going home. He was going to prison. Well, yeah, because he just confessed. Yep. So in the back of his mind, he thought this would work out like it was still a scary horrible situation but even though he had confessed he always just kind of believed that like you know yeah I said this but I didn't do it like it'll work out like surely people know I didn't do this yeah yeah and they did have DNA hair was found on the body and uh, it didn't match his DNA 
But it didn't matter because of his confession on December 7th, 1990, they convicted him and sentenced him to 15 years to life. No. Yep. Oh. Yup. So throughout the next couple of years, he appealed and appealed and appealed and appealed on the grounds yeah. that they had violated his rights, which was a relatively like the way that was worded and it mm-hmm. being grounds for appeal was relatively new at this point, which I think is why that was never agreed with. Mm-hmm. Um there, the district attorney was just very, it, it's a couple of articles I read talked about her like just rubber stamping the the denials for appeal, like just mm-hmm. never, never wanted to try any of these cases. Um, whatever judge was overseeing all of them, like they just didn't listen to any of that. And so for years and years and years, no one would let him appeal his case, even with DNA evidence that didn't match, the fact that there was no physical evidence linking him to the crime, there was no motive, like all they had was this false coerced confession. So for 16 years, oh my God, he was in prison. So he was 16 when he went to prison. Yeah. And then spent his entire life, like that whole life again, locked up for a crime that he had nothing to do with. Wow. In, yeah, in 2006, there was a new district attorney, and she authorized retesting of the DNA. Mm-hmm. And when she did that and they went to court, they found that the DNA was not only, obviously, not his, mm-hmm. but also that it belonged to somebody they knew, <gasps> Stephen Cunningham, who was in prison for murdering and raping another girl. Oh, my God. Yep. Oh, my God. So they let Deskovic go, and they charged Stephen, or they confronted Stephen with the the crime, and he confessed. And I actually watched his confession, and it was really eerie. Because, of course, by this point, it had been more than 16 years since he committed this murder. He said that he was high on cocaine at the time, that um, he didn't really remember a lot of the details. Like at one point they asked him, like, did she scream? Did she tell you to stop? Did she try to fight you off? And he said, well, you know, I'm sure that she must have. I just don't remember. I just remember being really angry. And they said, well, did she do something that made you really angry? And he's like, no, I don't think so. I think I just was really angry. Um, He knew that he strangled her while raping her, but he didn't know really any of the other details. Wow. His confession is terrifying. Like he seems maybe resigned, maybe a little sorry Mm -hmm. in, in the tape, but like it's also just kind of blank look and whatever. I'll just say it. I don't, it, it yeah. was awful. Well, I suppose he also doesn't have a lot of incentive to be authentic and say all the things because he's already in prison for doing the same thing to someone else and he's already, yeah. like, he's caught. Yeah. It's, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's be very clear. I'm so glad this guy was already caught and he was right there. Right. Just add more to his sentence. Oh, please tell me they added more to his sentence or something bad happened to him. Um, So I don't know. I didn't. I sort of went the other direction with it and was looking okay. more at like what happened to Deskovic and, and oh, his yeah. side of the story. Yeah. Um, But I do know that um, that Jeff was very upset 
I mean, obviously he was very upset, but one of the things that he said in one of his interviews was, you know, they coerced a false confession out of me and threw me in prison. Uh Stephen was still there and then went and killed someone else. Like, not only did they take away my entire life, but they took away this other girl's life too. Mm -hmm. Which is just awful and tragic. Um, So his conviction was totally overturned on the grounds that he was innocent and he was released. He was sent home. Um, And he now has been given what at the time was the very largest settlement ever. I'm not sure if it still is, but $41 million in in damages. Yep. I mean, it doesn't give Um, back the time or the pain, but it's better than being penniless and also having lost the time and the pain. Well, and he can definitely seek out the treatment he wants or yeah. do whatever he wants with it. He doesn't have to worry about trying to get a job after having huh. been in prison for his entire adult life. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, that's good. But again, like, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't fix him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, when he was... 16 and in high school and had no idea his life was going to go this direction his plans were always to go to law school and become a lawyer because he thought that lawyers like always did the right thing like they were fighting for the truth and they would defend Mm -hmm. people at all costs and it was a very noble thing which of course his experience with the legal system didn't really turn out that way with a lot of the people he came in contact with however now that he is free again Um, he has enrolled in, or he's been accepted to a law school and is going to become a lawyer to fight for the innocence project was the group that took on his case and eventually Mm -hmm. got him the retrial. I was going to ask you that. Everything else. Yep. And so I'm not sure if that's his plan is to join that specific project, but that kind of thing, he's an advocate for people who are in prison wrongfully, um, mostly due to coerced or false confessions. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but he had a statement that I thought I would just depress everybody with. So, um, (laughs) he said that when you're a good person, you don't wonder if you're going to go to prison, right? Because you're not, because good people don't go. But once you're there, prison is really dangerous. He said it's, it's, um, surreal in a nightmarish sort of way. You have to fight hopelessness and helplessness, depression and despair. You think about suicide and you're incarcerated far from family and friends, isolated from the real world. So his experience was much more about just feeling like his life was over mm-hmm. than necessary, necessarily like physical danger, but still dangerous. So that's my depressing story wow. and why I had to pair it with a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say like... Your story is oddly hopeful while also depressing because, yeah. I mean, it turns out okay in the end as much as it can for him. Yeah. But, I mean, you still end up with two dead young girls who never should have been killed. Right. And years behind bars that never should have happened. But also right. the Innocence pro- Project succeeded in this one. Yeah, it's really good, and so now he can do more. It's so, uh, uh, so like it is good? Question mark. So but yeah, super depressing. I feel like he is an extraordinary person in a lot of ways because 
when you go to prison most of the time, I don't know statistically what, what it is, but my feeling is most of the time you just go back. Like yeah. once you start that cycle, it just is self-perpetuating, right? It, you, you're not employable in the same way. You've lost time. You've fallen behind. You have no means. Like it's much easier to just go back over and over and over again. Yeah. He went and he wasn't guilty, the, you know, and so he had that sort of on his side. But but he came out even after missing out on his entire adulthood, ready to like take on something meaningful, mm-hmm. which I think is amazing. Like, yeah. I don't know what kind of inner strength it would take to do that. And he also tried appeals for years and it was just like, nope. But he kept doing it. Yeah, he was very persistent. Yeah. yeah. For 16, well, yeah, 16 years, because 2006 was the year he got out, so 16 years. That I don't know that I've ever been persistent, persistent about anything in my life that much. For 16 years? For 16 years, no. Yeah. Like, wow. But I, well, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know at what point I would just give up. I would like mm-hmm. to think that prison, that would be something I would feel persistent about (laughs) but I don't know I mean at some point maybe you just make the best of where you are and Mm -hmm. so it's this kind of thing is really interesting to me because like Sophia's birth mom is in prison right now I talked to her a lot this weekend and Mm -hmm. at one point this weekend we were on a phone call and she had to go because there was a fight and um and so I don't know if she thought she was going to be put on lockdown or she just felt like she didn't want to be standing right there or whatever yeah. but it's time um, to go yeah right I'm, I'll call you back later mm-hmm. <laughs> Bye. Um, but like listening to her talk about the things that she does there and the things other people do and like how different people spend their time mm-hmm. it's a lot of people there there's not a ton that's great for them to do opportunity wise and and there's a lot of just people who just live there. Like that's just their life and they're good yeah. with that. And and so they figure out how to make that their entire life. Hmm. And it's super depressing. Yeah, very, very. Right. Well, thank you for telling so, me that story. Yeah. Sad though it was. Right. But no, I agree. I think it's hopeful too. And like money doesn't make it better, but at least he you know, his name is cleared. Yeah. He's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just can't imagine. I And it isn't his fault that all the articles are about him and his mm-hmm. overturned conviction. But I was really frustrated that nothing was about her. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, his story is so interesting, though. It like, is. Of course, is. I want to hear about that. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, and it doesn't sound like there was anything about her murder that made it particularly different from mm-hmm. other murders. Like there wasn't anything outstanding other than the person convicted of it didn't do it. Yeah. Um, but it it would have been nice to see one article from not her point of view, but like about her. Yeah. So and I, I had to pull together little bits and pieces even to just get like the cause of death. Because huh. a lot of the articles were like, oh, so there's this murder and he was convicted. And now let me tell you the story, you know, mm-hmm. about the rest of the time. So, yeah. 
But yeah, so false confession. There was no way that this one was ever going to be happy, right? If the no. <laughs> false confession was the... <laughs> no. Well, I... Hmm. I, I Because uh, I fundamentally am a very, very soft soul. Remember last week how I apologized when I was talking about uh, Governor Diana Boggs's... and I love you so much. Well, his jaw <laughs> got partially shot off and I'm like... Ah, is this too gory? Um, like that's where I'm coming from, you guys. <laughs> so part of why I chose the Mark Hoffman story, other than you know being Mormon and crazy pants history stuff, um, <laughs> is that he fell asleep on his arm essentially, and then his forging arm got destroyed. Like, what beautiful karma is that? Right. Like, if you're thinking of what the what a good punishment is. For a guy who blew up two people because he just needed more time to create forgeries, taking right. away his ability to forge anything or, you know, use his dominant arm. Yeah. Plus, I yeah. imagine that's painful. Yeah. And mm-hmm. well, and I can tell you if men's prisons or his specific prison is anything like Tanya's experience with prison, they don't help you. You don't get a person no. to help you when you're disabled. You're just out of luck. Yeah. So, so sucks to be him and that's okay yeah no kidding yeah mm-hmm. that's good good karma I hope that it sucks to be the actual killer um yeah. what's his face maybe that's that's how we should do it Stephen Cunningham is his name but maybe okay. we should just intentionally forget the actual killer's name I'm all the time I'm okay with that I'm really right. okay with that yeah. yeah so so yeah that is my story um, and now we've been talking for a really long time. So I think that we should probably wrap things up a little bit. You bet. I have a question. Yes. Ask me a question. Have you listened to any good podcasts? Have you listened to Ear Hustle? I have not. Oh, you would love Ear Hustle. So would all of our listeners. Uh, so it's done by prisoners in the San Quentin uh, prison. Really? Yeah, and it's and it's not about um, the injustice of the system. It's about the day to day life in a prison, and they spotlight various aspects of prison life, like how you get clothes that fit, how you save your yeah. food, how do you how you communicate when everybody's behind bars, and like the, the lingo and art and relationships and how visitation works and family visits and wow yeah and uh huh. And I highly, highly recommend it. Um, I so find I find my phone. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like subscribe immediately. Each each episode is about half an hour long. But I I I love it. So right now they're on break. They're in between season two and season three. Uh, you yeah. You guys should just listen to it. So how. How do they record this? Do they get some sort of special permission to record it? Are they okay? Yeah, yeah. So the the hosts. Um, I'm not going to spoil things for anybody who wants to listen to it because I mean it's about real people and their lives change and some good things happen that fundamentally change how they're going to do the show and so you should all listen to it. Um, but Nigel Poor is um, she's a visual artist and she'd been working in the San Quentin prison for years and then she wanted to make a podcast and so she mm-hmm. with the help of the uh, communications officer at the at the prison um got permission to work with inmates to create this podcast wow. uh, so, yeah so like 
she 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 does it with them but like she's the connection to the outside if that's you know the right way yeah. of saying it mm-hmm. yeah. yeah 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 but they do some really am- amazing workarounds because they wanted to interview some of the guys on death row but like you mm-hmm. can't go visit the guys on death row but right. if you're on death row you are allowed to make phone calls and so right. even though they couldn't officially communicate in they could post a notice in like the um, the prison newspaper that every prisoner has the option of getting and saying, no, like, hey, if you're interested, call this number at this specific time and we'll be recording and we'll, you know, figure out how to interview you. So they interview guys on death row. And it's like, it's so good. And unfortunately, it helps me learn things about our legal, legal system. Uh, yeah, that's but always I, the problem. But I mean, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm an amateur Mormon historian. I'm not a crime crazy that's after. true that's true <laughs> you temporary. get <laughs> yeah you get a little bit of a, a leeway there i guess yeah, i guess so. i don't know ear hustle a plus do ear recommend. hustle that is awesome yeah what have you been i don't listening know how to? i don't know how i didn't know about that um i have been listening to kill it killing it the crime cast mm. So a while back, Diana and I were going to join a network. We were so excited. It yeah. didn't work out. Okay. But um, the what what did come out of that is we downloaded and kind of got to know pretty much all the podcasts on this <laughs> network. And so now I have all these great podcasts to listen to and like new pod friends. So yeah. um, this is part of that network. It's the Murderly Network. And it is um, a... So Sam and Lux are the two people that um, are the hosts and they mm-hmm. tell crime stories. Um, they mostly, or at least originally, because I'm not very far into it, but tell stories of serial killers, but like lesser known serial killers. So nothing oh, cool. popular that you might have heard of, but like, you know, things that aren't big headlines and that kind of thing. Um, they have lovely accents and they're very enjoyable to listen Aww. to. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, really well researched and really good storytellers. So oh. that is one thing I've been listening to. And the other one... <laughs> I already said, but your uh, My Book of Mormon podcast I have been listening to and thoroughly enjoying. Although I think the people on the bus might think I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are, are you listening to it on speaker? Because that's just rude. No, no, no. <laughs> it's on <laughs> headphones, but I feel like occasionally I get looks that suggest that my facial expressions are worrisome to other people <laughs> around me. Like, I, there's... Um, there's a thing that you get used to when you people say, hey, what do you do for fun? And I'm like, oh, I have a Mormon history podcast. And like that expression, yeah. you just get used to it. Um, yeah. At least I have gotten used to it. And I just like <laughs> double down. People are like, what are you listening to? You're like, oh, so I'm listening to a thing about, you know, official declaration two and how that really changed things about in 1978, about how God changed his <laughs> mind about black people. That's what I'm listening to. And the people are like, what the actual crap are you talking about? You're like, well, right. don't worry. It's just I think you should just lead with the Mormon war because then everybody will be like, I'm sorry, did you say war? Like, no, we learned about all the wars already. There are only like four and we learned about all of them. Yes. <laughs> well, it's just, nobody thinks, well, maybe some people think of Mormon history as being interesting, but I sure didn't until I started researching it. No, so, I didn't until like last so, week. 
until you met me. And you're like, hey, can you, you're a podcaster. Can you come podcast for a couple of weeks? I'm like, girl. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to just all guest host for a while. You're going to learn about Mormonism. It's fascinating. I am, I am here for it. Yeah. Like I haven't even talked about spirit babies yet. So, you know. Okay, next episode, Spirit Babies. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> oh, great. Now I have to find a, a crime about spirit babies. Challenge accepted. Yeah. I'm, there you I, go. I, I can I make it happen, you guys. You set yourself up for that. <laughs> <laughs> I did it to myself. Oh, no. Much like Mark Hoffman in a bomb in a car. I did it to myself. <laughs> Sorry. That's so bad. That's so bad. Also his dead arm, right? Oh, did that yeah. To himself too. Which, well-deserved dead arm. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Awesome. Well, so that is all in response to what started out as a challenge to get people to listen and leave us some feedback. Um, And even though that challenge is not necessarily connected anymore, although we'll never say no to feedback, Mm -hmm. I do have new reviews this week to shout out. Ooh, please share the reviews. I will. So um, big thank you to C.L. Weld and Chris M. 1982, which is a fantastic year to be born. I mean, I much prefer 1981 myself, but you know. Whatever, whatever. You and my husband, you're wrong. You're <laughs> off by a year. 82 was better. Um, so you're both old. No. <laughs> Thanks. Diana's not here for me to make old jokes about. <laughs> um, but no, thank you guys for the reviews and the feedback. And um that's all I got. Thank you. You're great. You're awesome. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so uh, where can people find Crime Crazy Podcast? So many places. Um, oh, but I have one places. more shout out. One more. Oh, shout you do? Out. I'm sorry. I do. I'm like... No, that's okay. I, I also want to shout out our show sponsors. And I said sponsors <gasps> because we have a new sponsor. <gasps> oh, hooray. I know. So our podcast is sponsored by David Hatt and now Seb Bryce. Yay. Thank so you. Show- Amazing people. Um, show sponsor support Crime Crazy by donating at the $10 or above Patreon level. So thank you guys. Um, we have lots of Patreon levels and that is one place that you can find Crime Crazy. And so if you want a shout out on the show or lots of other really amazing things, head over to patreon.com slash crime crazy pod and you can look at all of our different levels, which are they correspond to different levels of crime, which I thought was very clever. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> so you should at least go check out how clever I was because that took me a whole day. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you can also find Crime Crazy at CrimeCrazyPodcast.com, which links to all of our other social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at CrimeCrazyPod. You can email us at CrimeCrazyPodcast at gmail.com. We are on every podcaster that we could think of. And if you find one we're not on, let us know. Groovy. I feel like I've said all the things. Yeah, Diana it has like it a- all written down and like rehearsed, but... Yeah, because usually she does that, but I have access to none of your show statistics or any of your pages, so I'm just like, I'm going <laughs> to hang out over here and make you do all the work. Ta-da! It's pretty fantastic. Well, she, she has that notebook, oh, you know, yay. how she notebooks, mm-hmm. and it's all written in there. I, yeah. I don't have access to that stuff either. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what we just need to do is get inside Diana's brain. Okay. Oh, God. Are you sure? That doesn't sound safe. (laughs) 
Well, I think if we d- yeah, nope. <laughs> yeah. Gross. I'm just I'm just gonna like randomly talk. I think that's a better <laughs> safer. <laughs> awesome. So before we go, mm-hmm. do you have any advice that you want to give? Or I I can also give advice. I feel like I put you on the spot when oh, I Oh no, I think I have some advice for you. <gasps> yes. Don't end up on next week's episode. Definitely. And call your people. Call your people, everybody. Bye, everybody. Uh, also, we did a really good job last time of not having too much, like other than cutting out us having you having to let the dogs in. <laughs> <and out. laughs> yeah, that was a lot of, of dog. not having a whole lot of stuff, but it made it hard to find bloopers. Oh, so if you could like sing and or fuck up <laughs> at some point. <laughs> well, I'm just naturally a fuck up, so uh, you know it's just implied. And yet, <laughs> I. Uh, um i was like so i was talking to bryce um before we were recording so our the i'm just gonna back up because i did just actually fuck that up (laughs) uh i i know thank you for doing that right away i ask and there it is girl i'm here for you so (laughs) bryce and i recorded on wednesday for the for our episode that aired today as we're recording and Mm -hmm. um and so like we i realized that i run my recordings with Bryce like a business meeting because when we record, like I'm coming directly from work. Um, so I leave work oh, and yeah. I like have a 10 minute commute from desk to my desk here, which is amazing. But also like when I sit down, I'm still in business mode. So yeah. he logs in, we record. Usually we do one or two episodes and we are like, bam, bam, bam. And we're just like precise and then we're done. And then we might chat for like 10, 15 minutes, but then like he's got recording to do and I've got like other things. So we are (laughs) like, we used to have a lot of bloopers and stuff, but we just Mm -hmm. kind of stopped. (laughs) Yeah. Like we've got this system and it's working. And I was like, oh my God. Huh. Yeah. So I was, I I mean, I enjoy the quality time, like when I record with Mm -hmm. Diana, but. We definitely record twice as much content yeah. as end up, ends up going in. Yeah. I don't enjoy the editing. No. <laughs> I think it was the editing that got us to like stop that because I didn't, yeah. I literally didn't have the time to do all the editing and now we're paying for editing. So yeah, if we have any extra matters. audio, like if we, you know, if we're just fucking around for 20 minutes, then we're paying for those 20 minutes and we don't want to do that because we're super fucking cheap. Um, Right. Yeah. Well, no, and also, yeah, that seems silly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, I'm sure I will come up with some kind of blooper along here. Don't worry about it. In 1986, January, Hoffman was arrested and charged with first-degree murder, deli- uh, delivering a bomb, construction, and... Co- fuck me. <laughs> There's your fucking blooper. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Anytime. (laughs) Told you I'd get you one.